The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Hey, welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you once again today. We are live from the campus of Bob Jones University here in Greenville, South Carolina, where it is literally, if I knew personally, it feels like it's hot as hell to me outside today. <laughs> but hopefully, uh, I'll never have any personal relationship with that situation whatsoever. But we're here with our good friend, Renton Rathbun. Uh, and 30 plus teenagers yes, and two guys that sometimes wish they were teenagers. Anyway, it's good <laughs> to see you. Welcome back. How you doing? Thanks. It's good to be back. And it's great to be with all these great kids that are with us. I may flip the camera around at some point so they can all see and everybody's going, who wants me to flip the camera around so everybody can see you? One, who, who definitely doesn't <laughs> want me to do that? Okay. Oh, wow. just, that's like testing me. Now I've got all this temptation to flip the camera around. I'm going to try to resist that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you guys are up to this week. We talked about it in advance about doing an edu camp, and obviously you run the Center for Biblical Worldview. But what's the point of this week, and how's it going so far? Yeah, well, the point of this week is to get uh, people thinking about biblical worldview, uh, get them thinking about how it affects every single part of their lives, from what they watch on TV to how they speak to their friends about theological issues, political issues, all those sort of things, and even how uh, they work out their education. So, um, so far, it's been going great this week. We've been, uh, we go out on a lot of different uh, little adventures in town, and then we come back and we talk about it, and uh, we have had some amazing conversations that have gone quite deep to the point where I have to say, I don't know a few times. <laughs> Is that hard for you to say? It is. I, I disguise it with, it's a mystery. Yes. That's what happens when you get to be our age and you don't have the answer if we're struggling with our pride at the moment. Well, that's a mystery. And there's lots of mysteries in the scripture. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it was interesting at your house after lunch today with pizza and Cheetos, which was beautiful. I mean, uh, hashtag America. Uh, how many How many people had questions about, like, generally the problem of evil? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people want to talk about speaking in tongues, which is interesting. Yeah. So do you do you read anything into the questions that teenagers tend to ask? Yeah, I mean, I was I was actually kind of contemplating that because I was thinking, you know, it, from where I'm from, I get very few of those questions. Um, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you know, in my context, Presbyterians, we sit very still during <laughs> everything. Uh, we don't talk to each other. Uh, the frozen so, chosen. The frozen, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, but you think about, you know, they're they're asking about salvation. They're asking about uh, the gifts, and they're asking about these kinds of things. And this is, you know, biblical worldview camp. They can mm -hmm. ask stuff about what's going on in the world, but they are interested in theological issues, particularly those that deal with how our relationship with God is in our eternal salvation, which I think is is telling. I think it it means they're really thinking about this, maybe even struggling over some of this. When you open open it up like you did today at lunch, and we'll do this in a little bit, do you find, because when you're going out and visiting, I know they're going to go to a concert tonight or a string quartet or something like that. I went to a, a church the other day. 
questions and conversations that are in that tightly controlled context are one thing, but when it's wide open, mm-hmm. the thing about today that nothing came up today really about this cultural moment, mm-hmm. politics, LGBTQIA, kind of living out your faith in the public realm. Uh, it was it was pretty much all about theology. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything we can learn from that 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 <laughs> they're that would given a chance they're going to ask theological questions rather than cultural questions? Yeah, I think that is something. We adults often think that kids don't think about theology, that they're not interested in any of that stuff, that all they care about is their phones and uh, TV. And we underestimate not just what they're interested in, but how deeply they've already thought about this. I was hugely impressed with the questions which tell me that the depth of their thinking is quite is mm-hmm. quite um, substantial, I think. Yeah, and I think there there's some questions of being an observer, which I'm not used to. Uh, and I probably talk too much like I usually do. But uh, being an observer to that, questions that outsiders, people outside the faith, might ask mm-hmm. and the struggle about salvation uh who gets saved how they get saved i think there's some theological issues there uh one of your uh, students this week goes to a pentecostal church and so we were talking in that context uh, and i think there's something we need to learn from the fact that they're asking those types of questions i think there is a intersection between those types of theological questions and what we run into when we're talking to unbelievers. Mm. Cause I think some of that stuff gets confusing to outsiders. Uh, we don't always have a great answer and then we'll throw mystery in there. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I think there's something in there about what they're actually experiencing besides their own spiritual journey and what they understand and what they don't. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why these questions are so interesting. What's your goal this week? Um, my goal is to get them having a uh, a pair of glasses on whenever they whenever they look out into the world, and that pair is that of glasses. A cue? Yeah. Supposed to, sorry. Nice. Let me fix that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and the pair of glasses should be: How does Scripture interpret what I'm seeing? Um, you know, how has how has God intended the world to go? How has sin uh, directed it towards evil? And then how are we supposed to respond to that, which is the hardest question? How do I respond to a world that has fallen, to friends that have fallen, to parents who are fallen? Um, And that response is both how I respond and then the content of my response is the hardest part. Yeah. And then did you guys, were they watching a movie? Yes. We had them watch uh, Show Me the Father today. Now I'm going to make a suggestion. Are you guys ready? Don't watch a Christian movie. Watch a secular movie. How many of you guys watch secular movies? Nobody's filming this. <laughs> the camera's not even on you. Okay. Do any of you feel any pressure about watching secular movies? Is that like a no-no for anybody? One, two, couple of you. Okay. So like it's safe to do on a campus of a Christian university, we're going to watch a Christian movie. I'd rather, I'd much rather watch like Avengers or some other secular movie because the thing about worldview is it's in everything. And there's some things in secular movies and secular music that I can point to and go, okay, that's actually good. I can find truth in that. There's other things, of course, that are a lie, but they're getting inundated. 
and information, which one of the big differences between our life as teenagers and their life as teenagers mm -hmm. is the amount of information that's coming at them. We're going to talk about that. We're coming up on a break. We're live from Bob Jones University down here at the Educamp with our good friend Renton Rathbun and 30 plus friends of his who are now friends of mine. Now they're stuck with us forever. Too bad. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. We are live from Greenville, South Carolina on the campus of Bob Jones University at EduCamp. Did you come up with that word? EduCamp? No. It's kind of cheesy. Yeah, it is. It's But it's an educational camp as opposed to just pizza and late night camp, uh, summer camp. But <laughs> down here on the campus of Bob Jones University with our friend Renton Rathbun, who's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. And you've got... Uh, uh, how many students this week? Is it like we have 33 students, 33 students. Yeah. And now we're going to get some we're going to turn it over to some more interesting people. So you're first. So come on up. You're the first contestant today on The Price is Right. So uh, just question or comment, whatever you want to do. What's your name? Tristan. Tristan's here. Where are you from? I am from Westminster, South Carolina, Westminster, South Carolina. Question or comment? Go, Tristan. Comment. And um, I just. I guess I just wanted to say that, like, it's really hard to be a Christian in today's day and age because social media and news outlets always um, are very secular now. And there's not many, like, Christian outlets out there that just, like, express our point of view or our beliefs. We're mostly depicted as unreasonable or irrational and that we just are very archaic and too traditional for today's day and age and i think that's incorrect because there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn from today and in the bible and just everything that goes on and there's a lot more out there for christians to say and do than what people actually think that we can and what we believe in people have a lot of misconceptions about who we are and what we believe it feel kind of lonely it does it feels lonely and unsupportive because you know that there's other christians out there and there's plenty of people that support you but it just doesn't feel like it because all the people that are on social media and in the news and most of the people that are very involved in today's culture are very aggressive and very secular and really just don't like being confronted and they just want everyone to think like they do and they're very offended when we want to have our own opinions so it's hard how do you think that's impacted you personally in terms of just living out your faith does it make you want to be quiet do you kind of shrink back because you're worried about the backlash what 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 have you experienced with that i would say it makes me hesitant because fear is always a factor when you're saying something that you know most people won't agree with especially on certain platforms like tiktok snapchat and otherwise right and it's just hard because a lot of people aren't on there that agree with you and usually when they are they're also doing the same thing where they're afraid of backlash and so on but i think to answer your question i've through this camp i've learned a lot better how to defend my faith and how to argue back with using logic and reason all the way and not just using scripture, which to most of these people that are going to be arguing me, me nothing, right? No authority, right? Yeah. So I think this camp has been very, very helpful. And I think I've become a lot more confident with several interactions I've had on 
online entertainment media and so forth so i think i'm getting braver every time someone confronts me about it how many of you can relate to what tristan just said that, that that's kind of been your experience that put them up higher okay that's like 85 percent. thanks tristan yeah, but what do you think about that because that's that's really telling yeah. and then i have some other things i wanted to say about that too but well it shows ahead. you the new standard is being heard i mean you know when we were young no one ever listened to us <laughs> it never occurred to us that anyone would want to hear what we had to say but now we have this this social media system where voices are being heard no matter what it is whether what whatever you had for breakfast this morning or what your politics are and so when you hear enough of that over and over and over again whether it's on the news or in social media you kind of feel outnumbered all the time you feel like everyone has a caricature of who you are and it makes you want to respond how do i how do i help people see i'm not a caricature there's more to this than what they said and you feel kind of helpless yeah so how many of you see things on social media that you want to respond to put them up higher okay so that's most of you but but you want to respond how many of you are hesitant to respond this isn't a character test how many of you respond regularly Okay, so yeah, so a lot fewer people respond than want to respond. One of the things, like, here's, I'm going to throw some numbers at you guys. Play along here because I want you to guess. Uh, what percentage of Americans today will self identify as Christians? Give me some numbers 75, 50, 60, 90. Is anybody going low? It's about 68%. So 68% of Americans, when pushed, will self-identify as Christians, okay? What percentage of Americans have a biblical worldview? 12. 45. 40. 45, 20, 12. 30. It's six. Do you know what percentage of pastors by full-time profession have a biblical worldview in America? What percentage of pastors? It's about 60. So 40% of pastors in America don't even have a biblical worldview. So when we talk about being lonely, like Tristan was talking about and feeling like you're an outcast and you don't fit, that's because you don't. And, and you guys ever heard of nuns? Have you heard of that phrase before, the nuns? Do you know what percentage of American population now qualify as nuns? Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. It's about between 20 and 25%. So something to remember, nuns are not atheists. Only about three or 4% of Americans would self-identify as atheists. Nuns are people that will just say, I'm spiritual, but I don't really follow any specific religion. I don't really throw down with any particular religion. Do you guys know anybody that's a nun? Put your hands up higher. You know somebody that's not. Let me ask a follow-up question. How many of you know somebody that personally is in the LGBTQIA world? Put them up higher. What percentage is that? Uh, 98, <laughs> like almost every hand. Okay. When we were your age, you know what that percentage would have been in a room full of Christian kids? Like maybe 5%. So think about that too, because you're surrounded by that. Uh, thoughts on that? We got about a minute and a half. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, and I don't think it's because, um, there weren't LGBTQ people back then. I think, the ability to express it and be proud of it has has changed. And I think now it, that's why we have so many kids knowing each other. Do you know what percentage of your generation identifies as LGBTQIA plus? 32%. 
32%. It's never been bigger than 4% in modern American history, but now it's about 32%. Uh, who's going to be next, by the way? You're going to be next, but after the break. What's your name? Marcus. Marcus. Okay. So we're going to talk to Marcus after the break, uh, which is going to be in about 45 seconds. Um, it is lonely. Isn't this a lonely gig for it us as Christians? Gig. So how yeah. do you deal with that? The fact that you're a minority, most people think you're archaic, stupid, small-minded, judgmental, and hateful. How do, you, how do you deal with that personally? You've got 30 seconds. I get really angry. I think of all the really cool things I should have said and didn't. Oh, but you get, you, you get, do you struggle with your anger? I, I definitely do. Yeah. And so my I, pride. Yeah. yeah. How many of you struggle with anger when it comes to the culture? Okay. That's most of them. All right. That's interesting. We'll follow up on that. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk to three more students, maybe more. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we are live from the campus of Bob Jones University, EduCamp Week with uh, our friend Renton Rathbun, the Center for Biblical Worldview. So we're going to keep working through this and try to see life through these younger people's eyes so that we Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show here with my uh, friend Renton Rathbun, who's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview. We're down at uh, Bob Jones University. He's doing a worldview camp this week, and we're trying to uh, have this ongoing conversation with people that are, well, a lot younger than us. Uh, what's your name, sir? I'm Marcus. Marcus. Okay, Marcus, question or comment? Go ahead. Get close to the mic. You're nice and tall, so you're going to have to bend over. You well, Mr. Go. Noble, you uh, you asked... That's my dad. He's in heaven. Okay. <laughs> you asked if... Um, uh, what's the hardest part of being a Christian in today's world? And my comment on that is trying to keep yourself pure between just looking online at innocent things. You just find all sorts of smut and terrible things that you're not even looking for. You're doing very innocent things, whether it's looking at the news or some other website and ads come up or uh, ads for other things that you don't need or wish to see. Because it's everywhere. Yeah. How many uh, guys in the room can relate to that? Okay. How many girls in the room can relate to that? Yeah. Do you know what th that uh, uh, female use of pornography is now caught up to the same percentage as male? So it's all over the place. Uh, we have a friend whose daughter is nine went to her friend's house and her friend who's nine on her iPad in her bedroom is just looking casually watching porn at nine. Mm. And our friend's daughter's like, whoa, uh, we shouldn't be watching that. And the other girl's like, why? It's no big deal. Mm. This is a girl in church, by the way. And so it's all over the place. Mm. And, and so the question, how do we deal with that? Is that, I mean, I agree with you. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But is that a, you want us to talk about that? How do you deal with that? Sure. I don't care. Renton, you've got all the, <laughs> I don't care. Got all the answers. Man. But that's how many people can relate to what he's saying? I mean, smut, lust, temptation, it's everywhere. Raise your hand. Yeah. Who doesn't have their hand up? <laughs> I need help from you then. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah, I Thanks. think I think one of the things that we have lost um in the church is the idea that the church has resources for you. We don't think of a church as a place for uh, our battles. Um, in fact, a lot of young people um, I know have uh, have created a um, a kind of private life 
a way of living where mom and dad don't know about this. Um, not even my friends know about that. And even when, you know, the bravery it takes to even bring this up, um, you know, everyone's like, you know, oh, well, he's talking about that. Um, but we all know deep down inside uh, what we've looked on just the other day and and that you have in your hand a box that can bring up anything uh, wherever you are. And so how do we how do we deal with this? We get we have to start creating ways that we can't live a private life, um, creating boundaries that keep me from living a private life. Um, this means getting older men in my church to mentor me uh, if I'm a young man, older women in the church to mentor the young ladies, uh, having mom and dad literally involved in your life. Um, I remember one time I was, I, I started dating a girl and my parents didn't find out about it. This is in high school. I was dating a girl in high school and my parents didn't find out about it until like a month later. I mean, I was just, I was thinking of ways that I had to you know, break up with her by that time. And, uh, and that's when they just found out. And how, how did I get there? It's because I've created this world where I could be alone. And so how do we get those, those barriers away? So everything's transparent, everything's open to the world. Yeah. And the, and the, and the barriers is certainly a part of the equation. I don't think you can section yourself off completely. Mm. I think as long as you have one of these, as long as you have one of these, that you have ample opportunity. Uh, you can do covenant eyes, you can do all kinds of stuff, but there's a way around everything. I didn't get saved till I was 28. I was very promiscuous growing up, my wife, not as much, but still. Uh, and, and we've dragged that garbage. We know we're forgiven, we're free from that, but we've dragged the impact of that with us for years. And especially for, for guys, it tends to be more difficult than girls. There's um, David Jeremiah, this is years ago. Does anybody even know who David Jeremiah is? Okay, old pastor. Uh, David Jeremiah said years ago, lust is not something you can manage. You have to starve it to death, mm. which I found to be true. Uh, the longer you stay away from it, the less appeal it has. But it is like a perfectly built fire. Two of our, We have two sons. They're both Eagle Scouts. And they know how to build a fire. Mm. So I did this once on a stage. Uh, at a men's event. And I said, okay, let's say the pulpit is built like a perfect fire by an Eagle Scout and let's douse it with gasoline. And so it's all ready to go. And it's, my body heats enough to set it off. And then I went to the other end of the stage. I said, all right, you tell me when I'm being stupid as I walk towards the source of the fire. At what point should I stop? Take a couple steps. Anybody, anybody? And one person, there's one in every crowd. They're like, stop, brother Steve. I'm like, okay, that, that's a little ridiculous. But as I got closer, more and more hands came up. And then as I got within five or 10 feet of it, I said, should I stop? And everybody's like going, yeah, stop. Because uh, proximity opens the door. Mm. But it, 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 this is a long, hard walk of obedience in the same direction. Yeah. But it's it's 60% of pastors struggle with pornography. Mm. 60%. It's everywhere. Nobody wants to talk about it. So like at church, if you have... Uh, Hey, let's have a Wednesday night meeting. Whoever struggles with pornography, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Who's going to show up at that? Anybody? How many of you would feel comfortable showing up at that? No, I don't think it, maybe a couple people, but most of us wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I, this is a huge issue that nobody talks about. Yeah. Epidemic. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the old days, you know, we would have to, if we wanted to see something like that, we'd have to go 
to the corner store and you know grab the magazine go to the guy which and, they wouldn't even sell it to you if yeah you're under 18 and if and if even if they did they you know it was a shame or whatever but and then you had you were limited to whatever is mm-hmm. in that magazine yeah and now it's limitless i mean there's literally the access is absolutely crazy all right we're gonna go because that we don't talk about that subject enough by the way okay you're next what's your name isaac isaac you're up go ahead i'd say our generation with the amount of like information available to us uh whether like internet we have like infinite access to all information whether like political like ideology whatever we are my generation has gotten really good at ignoring everything what you don't want to hear you can just it's gone so that also affects like sharing what you believe like your religion as well you're um like trying to share the gospel with someone there is plenty of quote-unquote accepting groups like really friendly people who will listen to you who will who are really friendly about that but you can also tell by just how they're how they act they they'll they'll listen to you but they won't really accept any of it they they're not interested in changing their their whole life around just just for you they'll they'll listen to you but just to be your friend not to actually agree with you yeah not a lot of depth there yeah do you do you think being able to section yourself off from different opinions or contrary opinions or people that are different than you politically worldview wise whatever do you, when we walk away from that and and you can we were talking earlier about uh you know go be a mennonite move to pennsylvania just completely separate from the world <clears throat> uh should we as christians should we be spending any time listening to anti-christian perspectives uh political perspectives that are not biblical should we listen to that or should we just turn it off yeah you should you should have a, a good variety and balance of of everything you need to know both sides or else you can't you can't like empathize with their side of the story either and if you know how they're thinking you can try to you can try to help them understand what you're thinking better as well are people in your generation good listeners we're good at hearing things not listening all right how many of you are people in your generation generally good listeners how many of you think they're good they're your generation's good listeners those are two halves, which make one. Everybody else, your generation doesn't listen. Oh, all right. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Nobody, nobody's really willing to listen. I mean, we're great at hearing like gossip and everything. We're oh, our yeah. ears are all open for more for hearing whatever we're not supposed to hear. But actually listening to stuff, like sometimes, you know, it might not be worth your time. It's too much effort to actually listen to someone. Um Sometimes if you just don't like someone, you're not going to listen to them. Right. What What do you think about that? Because that, that's a great point. Thanks for asking. Well, I think yeah. that's a big problem is that nobody listens. I, I think that's true. I mean, you know, there's the there's the sense in which we've gotten good at creating uh, when someone's speaking to you to create white noise in your mind and just ignore it. I've even uh, felt this as a classroom teacher. Um, students. At some point, and maybe this was just because I was young, it felt like students were coming in because they were interested to hear what you had to say. They knew you had degrees in things that they didn't have degrees in. They knew that you were older and had experience that they didn't have. And so there was almost a sense of anticipation as to what they were going to hear. Um, I don't 
I don't get that sense as much anymore as a teacher. I get the sense that they already have this information. They Googled all about this right, already. Right. Hold that thought. We're hitting a break. We're here with Dr. Renton. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. We're here on the campus of Bob Jones University with Renton Rathbun. Uh, the Center for Biblical Worldview, EduCamp this week about biblical worldview. Now they come, this is what happens. Yeah. They're... The phones don't ring, the phones don't ring. And then all of a sudden in the last segment of the show, everybody lines up. And so we got to go really fast. What's your name? Thank you for stepping up. Alyssa. Alyssa. All right. Question or comment? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that we are very good at asking easy questions and answering with easy answers. Um, what we were talking about earlier about the social media and everything, we're not transparent with each other as we should be. We're so scared of judgment and we're so scared of just struggling with the temptation and thinking that it's sin when really struggling with the temptation is not wrong. It's natural for us to struggle with a temptation like that. And I think there needs to be more honesty between us, but also more initiative by older members of the church, not letting us get away with such easy answers and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, that's an awesome point. And, and and I don't think that's new, by the way. I think we've struggled with that for a few thousand years. Yeah. But how many of you relate to what she's saying? We ask easy questions. We give easy answers. We mm. don't like what you guys are doing at lunch today. That can get a little messy, right? We're not always going to agree on everything, mm -hmm. uh, but we don't chew the fat much, which is a really yeah. old saying. But you got a thought on that? Yeah. That's well, I think point. it's it's adults um, fear not knowing answers they fear what they're going to hear if they ask the hard questions they fear that if you if you start getting too deep down a rabbit hole um they're going to feel super uncomfortable and it's very easy to ask those easy questions mm -hmm. get the easy answers and move on and ignore all that's going on underneath it wasn't the answer just always jesus isn't that enough and pray right jesus and pray yeah. uh by the way how many of you relate to what she said that we're just not very honest. You, how many of you feel comfortable expressing doubts and asking hard questions? How many of you feel comfortable doing that? Why do we struggle with that? I think you nailed it. It's guilt and shame. Mm. You're going you're gonna to be attacked. You're going to be made to feel ashamed. And therefore, we shut down the conversation. There's no honesty and there's no truth. If you don't have truth, we got a problem, which I think most of us struggle with. Yeah. Your name? Uh, Aiden. Aiden. Cool. Go ahead. So in terms of modern day culture and when we're asked, uh, people ask us questions about our faith. How do you respond when somebody asks specifically, why do you believe in God? Mm. Um, I tell them, and this is, um, I got those questions when I used to teach in secular colleges and universities. My students would ask me that because I would give a very dark view of the human. I would say, you know, we're dead in our sins. There's nothing we can do. Um, and they'll say, well, then why would you ever even believe in God? And I said, I know it'd take an act of God for me to believe in him. And they thought that they thought I was, uh, you know, okay. So I said, no, that's it. It would take an act of God, and God's acting on me was what makes me able to believe. And then they say, well, so God's not acting on me. And I said, well, it doesn't look like it yet. Let's keep talking. There's a great book I read several years ago. You should probably write this one down. It's called Questioning Evangelism. Okay, it's not questioning whether you should do evangelism. It's using questions in evangelism, which mm. Jesus was quite adept at. He asked a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have people ask me that question. Why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in God? Why are you a Christian? And I'll usually say, I'm happy to answer that question. Can I ask you a question first? Yes. What, what do you believe in? Do you reject Christianity or God or the Bible? Yes. Why? 
one of the things that I would encourage you, this is so easy when 90% of the culture is against you, is you feel like you're on the defense. We even talk about that, defending the faith. Mm -hmm. Who's in possession of the truth in this country? Believers or unbelievers? Believers. Believers are in possession of the truth. You're not on defense. They are. You have to remember that. Mm -hmm. uh, when people ask me that question, I'll say for me as a very logical person with a critical mind, uh, the biblical worldview makes sense. It answers just about all of the big questions for me. And when I look at it, uh, whether it's archaeologically, scientifically, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't think there was nothing. And then there was, a, pardon my French, there's a big cosmic fart. And then all of a sudden there's everything. And then it organizes itself. And a few million years later, I have an iPhone. No, the atheistic position to me makes no sense logically. I think it's a really weak position intellectually. So for me, it was a matter of thinking, mm. history. But at some point, uh, I had to take a leap of faith. And, I, and I'm willing to share my journey and willing to share my doubts. But I usually ask a question because I need to know where they're coming from and if they're even going to bother answer, or listening. And then I'll just share. But if they ask me a question, I'll have an answer to. One of the things you definitely do is I don't know. I'm going to work on that. Can we get together again and talk about it? Because now you just got to follow up, which is good. You want to keep the relationship alive. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, my name is Nathan Miller. Nathan. And um, my question is, why do you think it's justified to think God's morality is objective? Well, you'd have to describe what objectivity even means. Does objectivity mean something that has no influence whatsoever? It's just something that's out there that has no personality um, and just exists and therefore is an umbrella we have to deal with. That's kind of where Nietzsche was. He was, He kind of had this idea that if, if objectivity really is what people think it is, it's this thing out there, it's an eye that can't even see or direct itself, it can't do anything an eye is supposed to do, otherwise it would have a bias. And so he said, that's impossible. So whatever objectivity is, it would have to be um, the thing that is the truth and the right thing about the state of affairs. So what is the truth and the right idea of the state of affairs? Well, you'd have to be the one that created the state of affairs. So I, I believe God is objective in that sense, and that he is the creator of the state of affairs that we live in, and therefore is the only one that would have the answers, which he gave us in his word to interpret the state of affairs he's given us. Yeah, for me, objectivity would be an absolute <laughs> allegiance to uh, what's true. And none of us have that because we're all tainted by sin. Subjectivity brings your, your sin nature into it. It brings your bias into it. It brings your ignorance into it. And so you're subjective because you refuse to deal with absolute truth. God is nothing but absolute truth. He can't be anything but objective. He can't lie. He's got no bias. He just calls it like it is. That's why there's stuff in the Bible that's not easy to hear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 talks about, hey, listen, nobody does good. Nobody even seeks God. That was a question that came up earlier over lunch, you know, free will and everything. I'm like, listen, we have free will. Nobody seeks God. John 6, 44. Nobody comes to the son unless the father draws him. He's always the initiator because the Bible says nobody goes to him. Nobody seeks him. Nobody. What does nobody mean? Nobody. So God has to initiate because we wouldn't. That's how far down that rabbit hole we are. But objectivity to me is just pure truth. And we don't like that. That's why people don't like biblical Christianity because we claim that it's pure truth. Nobody likes that. 
Mm-hmm. You become the tattletale. You're like the cosmic tattletale. Who's next? The cosmic. You gotta go quick. I like that. Hi. So um, I just had a question about the end times. I feel like every time I'm with like a group of Christians and we're discussing theology or just debating different topics, I feel like the end times and Jesus's second coming always just like ends up appearing out of nowhere. Do you think as Christians, there's anything we should be doing to prepare for the end times? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think. um... Buy lots of food. (laughs) <laughs> from glenn beck from glenn beck and gold too and guns and ammunition yeah i mean i think i think we we as a culture do not look forward to christ's return as we should um he's going to come back with blood on his shirt and ready to make all the injustice right and now there's lots of differences obviously you know as to how we think that's going to come about and I know that's what a lot of uh, young people uh, might be arguing over uh, as to how those events might come out. Pre-trib, mid-trib. Yeah, post and all that. But the thing that we should care most about is that God is returning and that Scripture really does say any at any time. So we don't know when that is. It could be, it could be any minute, could be long from now, but whatever it is, um, the anticipation shouldn't lead us to arguing. It should lead us to doxology, to being excited about Christ and what that will look like and what is going on right now that needs to be corrected, that Christ, our warrior God, will come back and, and fix. Does it seem to you like that's an easy out for people? It don't, behind your question? It almost seems like people use it almost just as like a hot topic or just, or just something to debate over. And I feel like as Christians, we should almost look forward to it because I feel like a lot of people fear it. And I feel like that's just wrong. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I love about that is every account's going to be settled. So all the things that drive me nuts about the culture and the world right now, that's not forever. That'll be settled. Everything's going to get settled. Uh, when it comes to Jesus's return, I'm like, if Jesus's return this Saturday at 1130 p.m. Eastern time, uh, do I want him catching, catching me doing what I'm doing? That's a good little check. The other one is that day is coming, whether it's while I'm alive or my kids are alive or whatever the case may be. That gives me great hope. But it also reminds me that, like James talks about, your life is like a mist. It's here and then it's gone. Mm. What are you doing today to make a difference for eternity? And knowing that everybody's going to face judgment and it's coming. That day's coming. Do we have any kind of uh, intensity about it at all? Look forward to it. That's easy for us. I don't look forward. How many people do you know if Jesus came back today, they're going to hell? Hmm. raise your hand if you know somebody that's going to hell jesus came back right now Hmm. right okay there's a little assignment for all of us right so there's an intensity there that i think it offers us last question really quick so i just wanted to make a comment on one of the things or two of the things i struggle with um and one of those is uh dating and others social media so um first of all i'm not allowed to do either child you know, I'm out of the house. <laughs> um, or when I go to college, I'll be out loud to date. But um, I always felt that dating was just something that you're just expected to do as a teenager. Like, I'm 16, you know, I'm supposed to have like a serious boyfriend by now. Um, so that's just two of the things that I struggle with personally. And social media. Yes, and social media. Yes. You want to tackle that? You got 25 Boy. seconds. Boy. 
I have a daughter now. We'll talk about that more after this. And uh, yeah, I would. I think dating will be good for around 35, 36. I mean, and I almost feel. I kind of joke. Another program powered by the Truth Network.